How the wise see cancer is the topic for this video and I hope this is helpful and useful in some ways for anybody dealing with cancer personally or with somebody else who has cancer. And of course it's not just cancer, it's any uh, serious illness. The Buddha and uh, Buddhism have lots to offer about how to view the experience of sickness, which is a universal potential for any human. Uh, it's mostly for most humans, uh, one day they will be sick and it can be terminate in death or in recovery. And we need strategies, we need attitudes, we need the, the right view of things in order to deal with this, in order to uh, minimize suffering. There are, uh, there is physical pain and then there's emotional distress. And the area that we're going to deal with most is how do you reduce the emotional suffering as much as possible. And also, of course, if you can possibly reduce the physical suffering, that would be wonderful as well. So we're going to talk to Piedassi, our lovely office steward at Birkin Monastery and long-term practitioner. And I'm talking to her because she had cancer and we had to work through this together. And I just want to find out from her, well, what worked, what helped, um, what attitudes, what did you learn from the experience? And so let's just go back to the first awareness of the of kind of symptoms. Something was wrong. Mm. Tell me about that. Um, I was uh, having some discharge that wasn't explained, and I went to. I was seeing an acupuncturist at the time. And she took my pulses and I told her my symptoms and she suggested I go uh, for a, um, a colonoscopy as well as uh, get a stool sample because there were discharges from my uh, anus. And I did that and had a colonoscopy scheduled and about a week later I got a call to arrange for an MRI which was my clue that something wasn't quite right. And as I was talking to the nurse, the doctor got on the phone. And when the doctor gets on the phone, again, that didn't seem like a promising prospect. And he said to me, um, well, this isn't good news and I prefer to tell you in person, which told me that this was not something positive. And I uh, actually had an interview set with you that day about something else and I went into you and started to talk and started realizing I started to cry and I was kind of surprised at crying because I was sitting with this for about two hours of wondering and the mind going and I remember saying to you I, I'm not so afraid of dying but I want liberation before I go mm -hmm. and you said it starts now with you stay on the breath mm -hmm. and we talked a bit more that um, the idea that you had mentioned in, in the previous video about news, um, I didn't know what the news was. I'll, I could determine that he was saying it wasn't good news, mm -hmm. 
but not to think about it because there's nothing else I could do. And I found that very helpful and, um, and just getting right to it. And I went out and started, I went to the sala and started meditating. And I just had the gratitude that I was at the monastery for this kind of uh, prognosis or future that was going to be coming up that was unknown. Right. Now, you said, I told you not to think about it. So this is uh, important, is that the first thing people do when they hear this or even suspect it, they start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And all these thought processes are actually not just useless, but actually problematic, because they, are, they usually bring up a whole bunch of anxiety and fear and so forth. So you, mm -hmm. why I told you not to think about it was that people introduce all kinds of other sicknesses uh, instead of just the one they have. Mm -hmm. And the other sicknesses are emotional. And so the first thing you have to do is very confidently understand the value of not thinking about it. Now this is strange advice. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody's like thinking about it, thinking about this and thinking. Nobody suggests you don't think about it. I'm suggesting you don't think about it <clears throat> because uh, this is also advice I give to people who wake up in the middle of the night and worry about their problems and so forth. I tell them, never think in, at night. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to think at all, it has to be in a state of, of ease, uh, a supported uh, clarity as well. So this was good advice and... Mm -hmm. It helped you decide, well, what is my strategy? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I did end up going the next day to see the doctor for the news. And I was very calm because at that point, um, I, I already had the prospect of something was not right. Mm -hmm. But I was also very uh, at ease, and I was just preparing to hear whatever had to be said. And I was told that I had anal cancer. It was early stage, as far as I could tell, but he was um, suggesting a treatment of chemo and radiation for six weeks, and they would get that scheduled, and uh, came back and um, processed those pieces, and uh, I had wonderful support here. Um, so what, what, is, what is wonderful support? Um, first was... Uh, you saying you're going to send me meta zaps. <laughs> That's important and, and, a, and a nice uh, kind of strategy for people is that when people ask what they can do, and sometimes they won't ask, they'll just be full of all kinds of ideas about how they're going to help you. And sometimes those ideas are not that great. They're going to empathize with your pain and, and etc. But one thing that you can just ask people to do who want to do something for you is think about you with loving kindness. And loving kindness doesn't mean I'm sad for you. Mm -hmm. It means may you be well, happy, and peaceful. So when you bring that person to mind, that the person with the illness, with the cancer, you visualize them uh, and radiate towards them uh, this sense of may you be well, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. 
And it's nice to know that people are thinking about you in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. And I call it zaps <laughs> because you're about to go and get zapped. And so meta is a kind of radiation as well, radiating meta. And I think you were a little apprehensive about what this radiation that they're going to do at the cancer clinic is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, a, that's one of our the strategies and that you felt that that was helpful to know that people are going to do that on a regular basis. And that perhaps indeed you actually benefit from that experience as well. But to know that people are doing it mm -hmm. is one clear benefit. Mm -hmm. And then the, the power of that is another aspect. Mm -hmm. So continue the story. Then what happened? Then, uh, so that was, that was in mid-February a couple of years ago. So it wasn't until the end of March I was heading off for treatment. And um, as you know, we have a, uh, a belief in karma and that perhaps our good or unwholesome actions have fruit or consequences. Um, it just so happened at that time there was someone had arrived on a long-term basis who, once I had the diagnosis that very day, she said, if I can fill in for you, I will do that while you're away. Because the first thing I thought of is my responsibility here and how can I do this down there? And it just manifested. I didn't ask and someone offered this generously, which then brought up for me such gladness and metta that I could radiate to other people and that made me feel better as well so it was this um, uh, you know the good actions of the past perhaps brought this forward that someone could help me mm -hmm. and also the belief that perhaps an unwholesome aspect was coming to fruition in the cancer mm -hmm. and I rejoiced in that oh good that one's paid off <laughs> right so this needs to be explained I think and especially for non-Buddhists mm -hmm. The idea is that uh, we have all done negative and positive things in the past. First of all, to actually be a human at all means that you have done good things. To be born as a human is quite a remarkable um, achievement. <laughs> you, many people think it's just an accident of biology and so forth. We don't. So the fact that you're human and you have your faculties uh, is quite a uh, means that you have done good things in the past, but then things happen to you in this life, and some of it's mysterious, but it has causes in the past. And we uh, think that, and we don't know specifically what, what it was, but when negative things happen, we assume that there were negative causes. The good side of this is that when you experience negative things, you're discharging a kind of debt. So when you stub your toe, you think, okay, one more, uh, one more debt paid off. <laughs> now, you can't do this in a proactive way. You can't inflict pain on yourself in order to discharge debt. That's a bad idea. It's just something that happens to you from time to time. Illnesses and uh, difficulties and so forth. But to, in, in order to turn that into a positive thing, you realize that that's one more negative thing is paid, paid off. So this is one way of thinking about these things. It's quite uplifting. Okay, I am 
I am discharging a negative sort of debt. And uh, it can be very uh, helpful to think in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also found, too, that you had um, you recommended following the advice of doctors. Um, just make it simple in that sense of... of... Right. Uh, so Buddhism doesn't uh, issue a kind of... Uh, medical treatment, so forth. We're, we're we're happy to cooperate. The Buddha himself had a personal physician, and was quite happy to use the knowledge of the world in in regards to medicine. We don't have any kind of oh, we'll just deal with this in a purely spiritual way. Whatever uh, medicine can work, but there is a whole uh, element of spiritual and psychological support as well. Mm-hmm. What I found was different for me, and and perhaps it was the practice at that point is. Um, if you had asked me, even earlier that year maybe, what would you do if you got cancer? I might say I'd look into all these alternatives and try all kinds of different things. But once I had it, <laughs> or was told I had it, I went, I don't want to boggle my mind with making another decision in that regard. And I, it felt so good to let go of my views and opinions mm-hmm. about finding the absolute perfect right thing to do and I had a good doctor in fact I I was referred to a doctor who comes here who's a Buddhist and he took me on as as he was my oncologist and I felt totally um, at ease with following the advice of what would be called Western medicine's approach to this and that was that took a lot off my mind because what I also discovered as soon as you let people know their views and opinions start to flood in of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And I found that um, not helpful to my mindset. So to keep my peace and to keep my mind in, on the game, more or less, right. I asked people not to share those yes. and that I respected their opinions, but I was going to, I had made a choice and I was going to go forward uh, with that, yeah. with my, my full conviction. Well, that's so important that people understand that you have a right, uh, especially when you're sick, to not listen to people. (laughs) Uh, Not everybody's advice is helpful, and you also have a right to just cut to the chase with people and say, I'd rather not talk about it. Uh, There's all kinds of ideas in society about being open, receptive, talking about your inner pain and all that kind of stuff. It's not necessarily helpful at all. There's only certain people that you want to listen to, and especially when you want a game plan or an attitude. Because generally speaking, people don't see cancer wisely. So this, the title of this, this little interview is How the Wise See Cancer. And some of the advice that you're going to get uh, about a wise approach to this is very different than the ordinary um, approach. And that means that you, one recommendation is stay away from um, talk, discussions about this with people. Uh, and just listen to the, your coach, you know, that is giving you the game plan. So this is a strategy not just for illness, but for all of life. But so when you went to, then you went to the cancer clinic because you had to do the treatment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
It's full of other cancer patients, isn't it? Yes. And tell us a little bit about your strategies for how are how are you with all a whole place full of cancer patients going through this with all kinds of different attitudes. Mm-hmm. Well, the way my um, situation was is recommended for six weeks of radiation five days a week and chemo once a week. Or actually, I was taking chemo every day. So I needed to relocate to um, Kelowna for six weeks uh, and go to the BC Cancer Agency. And fortunately, they have a, um, a living facility right next door and generously friends and, and I offered and supported me mm-hmm. staying there. But I had a roommate. Um, we had meals every day with cancer patients and their families. So that was part of the living arrangements. And then we would walk over for our treatments. So it was a living situation for six weeks. And I, I um, before I left, I also told people I was treating this as a retreat. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to hang out. People offered to, should I come and be with you? Do you want to talk? Should we go shopping? Go for lunch? And I said, I I really appreciate that, but I I just want this as internal time. And I told my roommate, and she was very respectful of that. But early on, you know, you'd be at a meal, and uh, it was almost like a, the best analogy is kind of a prison sentence, almost like, what are you in for? Mm -hmm. What kind of cancer do you have? How long are you in treatment? And and I, I remember early, you know, people would come and go at the meals, and I, I said, I have a lot of compassion for you, but I'd really rather not talk about mm-hmm. my my illness. I'm just going to focus on being here and doing my treatment. And often I got very odd looks, mm-hmm. but they respected that, and I just kept my head down mm-hmm. for meals. Uh, I would go for walks right. and kept to myself. Yeah, so we were modeling this on um, basically on meditation retreats and spiritual retreats that at a retreat, although a bunch of other people are there, um, you're not unfriendly, but usually the usual injunction is to stay silent. You, you have your own life, your own work to do. And at some point, you, you can't do everybody else's work and you can't just lay yourself out as a social being all the time. There's... There's work that nobody else can do for you and that you need to do by yourself in silence. Now, those who may be watching this who have never been to a retreat may not may think that they need, because they're nervous, they, they want people to talk to them and so forth, but they, you, one should consider the value of keeping your own counsel or the counsel of the wise. So it's not that you don't hear any voices, but you are very selective about whose voice you hear. Mm-hmm. And so that they don't pull you into uh, unwanted confusion and so forth. So did you listen to any Dhamma talks or anything like this? I did. This was pre um, before your YouTube talks. Uh-huh. But there were other Dhamma talks I had downloaded. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to remember Bhikkhu Bodhi had a series on the paramis, and I listened mm-hmm. to one of those every day. And I took a Dhamma book, that was all I took, um, and would read uh, and meditate every day. I, made, I got up at 5.30, so I would be, my mind would be with the other people mm-hmm. at the monastery meditating, mm-hmm. and in the evening. Um, I did find, as the treatment carried on, I was very, very tired. And 
wasn't meditating as much as I wanted to, but I looked at the, you know, sleeping, um, pain was starting to arise, um, and I kept following that. Um, there was a, a moment where I saw, in the mirror in the room, I, I saw my reflection, which had a grimace. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was anticipating pain, whereas I may not have been in pain at that moment. Mm-hmm. So I, I brought my reflection to, am I in pain now? Mm-hmm. And if not, I was looking at that moment. Oh, good, there, there's no pain. And then there's pain. And then the seeing the arising and the passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and using the meditation as much as I could to stay with the breath and find peace. And there was a one particular sit where the pain went away. It had been very intense, but I was meditating and the pain went away and I just felt such joy of a realization like, oh, this meditation stuff really works. <laughs> That's interesting. And, and that for uh, people uh, to explain that strong concentration uh, is important and it can reduce pain mm-hmm. and to stay focused on a an, an object outside is also helpful to this so mm-hmm. um, this idea that, that the pain sort of dissolved mean it corresponds to the degree of concentration that you have mm-hmm. and uh, this is very important to, to know that that's an option now not everybody has the capacity to concentrate like this mm-hmm. so it's important that people understand, though, that there is an alternative to pain if you can manage to focus your mind uh, on a on a meditation object. You can often get just the degree that you're focusing on that object, pain in the background will diminish. Mm-hmm. It's like a teeter totter. Mm-hmm. Your focus is on this end; the other end goes down. Yes, yeah. yes. And that's something you got to confirm and say, oh, this meditation actually works. Yes. 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 And um, you mentioned coach. I was thinking of you as my cancer coach through it because we emailed a few times and actually had a Skype call Mm -hmm. um, that you generously allowed me to to do. And that was really supportive and uh, helped me tremendously. Right. So great. A spiritual coach, a psychological coach, but not any coach. Because mm-hmm. not everybody has good ideas, and all kinds mm-hmm. of people are happy to coach everybody, but there's so much conventional ideas about how to be with sickness, and not all of them are good. So you're going to have to sort through this about what are really good ideas and what are not good ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is too complex to really completely and thoroughly explain, but the basic idea here is that suffering is not a good idea. (laughs) We want to reduce the amount of emotional distress. There is no great value in this. We want to reduce this emotional distress and the physical pain as well. So these, these are the strong ideas we must keep on and we have to recognize well what is it that brings us into suffering you know, mm-hmm. and how to stay out of that mm-hmm. 
Another thing that would come up, and I think it's a common theme when people have cancer, is the idea of battling it and fighting it. Yeah. And I really didn't have that sense at all. It's it's what you were discussing about this body isn't mine, and I think it's not my cancer. It's got nothing to do with me. Right. And I remember saying that to a few people, and they would look, look at me rather oddly. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great thing is that the idea that it's not yours uh, the body itself is not yours and therefore the cancer itself is not yours it's not I it's not me it's not mine these are biological processes that are natural they occur if they weren't if they did if they occur it means that they're part of the whatever the environment we're in mm-hmm. and so we have to uh, not identify with these things. So it's important. Mm-hmm. And you will get a lot of relief if it's, uh, these are not personal, this, this illness is not personal. There, there is illness in a body, but it is not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would look at it too as a, a great opportunity to practice for death because you get a cold and you're pretty sure you're going to get well, but if you get cancer, you don't know, and then they start putting out odds, mm-hmm. like a betting game. Well, you know, 70, 80% success or not, and you could be in any of those categories. You could be that 1% that it didn't work on. So I looked at it as a great gift of, I don't have much time. I may, I may not have much time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I had thought of, you know, this is a dress rehearsal or it's, closing night (laughs) you just don't know so I want to be at peace every moment that I'm alive and this is a great opportunity to really put the turn the flame up on on my practice and and work with that right so we're using the idea of death as a an incentive to live Mm -hmm. uh, to live well and this is practical of course whether you let the cancer or you're the doctor that's treating the cancer patient, nobody actually knows who's going to die first, actually. Uh, the doctor can step out into the traffic and lose their life, um, and the cancer patient may live to be 100. So nobody knows in this uh, game that's beyond our comprehension and out of our control who's going to die when. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not just for people who have cancer to reflect on, on that because of death, the certainty of death, and the uncertainty of when, this can be used as a wholesome, uplifting uh, idea. Mm-hmm. That this is something that, hap- that we all should have known since we were children. This is uh, part of the condition of being born. Death comes along with birth. And we don't need to be in a state of fear. What we really need to do is process this in a positive way so that it fills our existence with the possibility of how to be in this very uncertain, unstable, and painful uh, existence without uh, increasing that uh, pain. Mm -hmm. Mm Now. Here you are, and this is how, how long? Um, a little over two and a half years ago. And how are you? I'm very well. And mm-hmm. you have uh, 
What did the doctors say? Well, I had uh, you know a few follow-ups every month for six months after that, and they found no evidence of the cancer. And then I've had a few diagnostics, and it's all clear. And colon is clear, and anal wall is clear. Uh, so probably for you know a couple more years, I need follow-up. Mm-hmm. But I I feel great. I remember there was a you know coming back to the monastery, there was about three months of healing. Uh, quite a bit of pain and and healing. At one point it had faded and some pain came up and I said, oh, there's pain. Oh, right, I had cancer. (laughs) I forgot. And then I didn't think about it again. Now, after all the treatment is over and you're feeling better, that's also a time when you can't not practice. You have to continue to this. And, Mm -hmm. And also, having been through that and come out the other side and have no evidence of cancer, this, the game still goes on. This, the, uh, the assertion of what, how you have to live moment to moment. Because mm-hmm. one thing hasn't gone away, and that is the fact of death. Mm-hmm. fact of death remains. It remains for all of us. And we always have to. It's not just, oh, I had a close call. Now I'm going to live forever. So <laughs> it's, it's, it, we're all in the same situation. And so the lessons that you learn and were presented to you are still being uh, absorbed and practiced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember there was a one time when I was getting radiation uh, near the end, and the text said, "You're always smiling. Yeah. Why is that?" And I said, "Well, it's better than the alternative." So I think, and I would make myself smile a number of times when I was in pain because it up, it's uplifting. And that's something after the fact as well, is because we all have bad days for whatever emotional reasons, or we're not feeling well, and to smile or to bring a positive thought to mind, or to have meta for someone else um, and for ourselves. I think that's important. And yes, to just remember that this could be the last breath, and it's a it's a it's a wonderful time to bring the practice. Well, there's another little tip, is uh, the idea of smiling when you have no authentic feeling of happiness. Smiling as a kind of a reminder, it goes backwards in the circuits and and reminds you of that other experience. So uh, people often think they have to be authentic, well, I've got cancer, what are you talking about, smile and so forth, that's Pollyanna kind of stuff. That's not Pollyanna kind of stuff. Uh, you can, you actually, most people have cancer before they know they have cancer and they can be walking around smiling and having no fear whatsoever mm-hmm. and then they're told they have cancer. There's very little difference between the day before and now this and now you can't smile. So you were smiling with cancer. Why don't you continue to smile? Mm-hmm. It's because you have cancer that it's a good idea to smile. Um, I have a saying, the worse it gets, the better I feel. <laughs> And that's a strange saying, but I'm going to leave that for whoever is watching to contemplate and to unravel. I'm not going to explain why the worse it gets, the better I feel is a good thing to contemplate. You're going to have to sort out the meaning of that. And it's it's a good one, though. And everybody else says, the worse it gets, the worse I feel. The better it gets, the better I feel. But it's actually the reverse is very, very important. 
the worse it is, the better you must feel. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. And that's not also just the fact that we can share that is also one of the outcomes of having gone through the valley of death <laughs> and come out the other side is that lots of people have to do this. And this mm -hmm. is why we're doing this little series on how the wise see cancer is because uh, we can turn this into a positive thing and share uh, good strategies for this with others as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ajahn. Okay.